Welcome back to Three Things with Rick Elias, featuring fascinating conversations between Rick and his close friends, including athletes, entrepreneurs, leaders, and more, and three inspiring life lessons at the end of every episode. Today's guest is Bob McKillop, the legendary head coach of the Davidson College men's basketball team. Coach McKillop devoted more than three decades of his career to the Wildcats, with more than 600 wins and 10 NCAA tournament appearances. In that time, he coached both of his sons, who were standout players, and 57 students who went on to play professionally, including two-time NBA MVP Steph Curry. McKillop stepped down in the role last year, and his son Matt took over as head coach. In this episode, Coach McKillop discusses what loyalty means to him, how to build a winning team culture, and what separates good players from great ones. This is Three Things with Coach Bob McKillop. Today on the podcast, I have the absolute privilege of chatting with a dear friend. So today, Coach McKillop is joining us on Three Things. Coach, welcome to the show. Well, you know, Rick, I've listened to your podcasts uh, on many occasions and the illustrious guests you've had. So I feel honored to uh, to be on that uh, podium with the number of people who you've interviewed and, of course, the great success you've had in your career in life. The fact that you coached for 33 years, won 633 games, I believe you made it to 10 NCAA tournaments, coach of the year in 2008, have 57 of your players playing professionally. How is retirement, coach? I don't want to call it retirement. I don't nearly have the anxiety that I had as a coach. I don't have that stress. What I do have is time, and that's one of the greatest gifts any of us have, time. And I'm starting to think so much more. Mm. You know, I would always get on a flight, and it was the one time that I would have a thinking process. I'd sit on a plane and, and... Creative thoughts would come to me, plans would come to me, strategies would come to me. Well, it's as if I'm on a plane now all the time. I, I, I spend time thinking, and it's one of the regrets I have as I contemplate the years I did the coaching job. I didn't spend enough time thinking. Mm. And how do, you, how do you manage your time now when there's not the boundaries that there used to be? I, I, I try to be as, as detailed and regimented as I am with as I can be with my schedule. Uh, I, I, I go to three different locations on a weekly basis on campus. I don't have an office, but I, I have an office in our house and I'll use that on occasion. But I'm convinced that um, as you get from place to place to place on the campus, your, your creativity grows. I, I, Does that mean, Coach, I, I, I went to a lot of your games, and I know your preparation was very methodical. You were very intense. Does that mean that uh, if you could do it again, maybe you will be a little bit less intense about the process uh, and let a little more creativity enter in? I think that uh, I'm, uh, I, I was very detailed about everything we did, almost to the point of being anal. So, yes, to a degree, you're correct. But... Discipline comes before freedom. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the political world, it's the family life, it's the business world, it's the sport world. Unless you have discipline, and I, I use the contemporary term guardrails, you can't have that freedom. You need discipline. So, uh, yes, I was anal to a point with my details, but uh, I don't believe it was suffocating. Uh, I, I tried to uh, 
create an environment where guys could flourish. And it was interesting about my metamorphosis as a coach. I grew up in a time period of the 60s and the 50s and the 70s, and everyone was a point guard, a shooting guard, a two guard, a small forward, a big forward, a center. Everyone was pigeonholed into a position. Right. When I started coaching, I didn't want to deal with a player saying, I want to be a shooting guard, or I want to be the point guard, or I'm a center, and I want to be a shooter. So what I did was I tried to create a positionless attack in which, number one, it was completely dependent upon my responsibility of teaching these guys as many skills as possible, make them as versatile as possible. Then developing an attack, an offense, in which their versatility could be utilized so that they didn't see themselves as a center or a big forward or a small forward. They just saw themselves as a player. A big part of that is the concept of basketball IQ. So I would teach them as many experiences in the game where they're reading what's going on. And that all came to me from the park, the playground, the schoolyard. That's where you learn these things, three on three. And there are two pieces of the park mentality. One of them is the competitiveness. You would go to the park and the pickup game would occur and if you won the game, you stayed on the court. If you didn't win the game, you had to get off the court and wait for winners. And sometimes basketball and life is rhythm. And now you're sitting on the sideline, you're all sweat, and you have to wait for 15 minutes for the next game. Well, maybe it's two winners, or maybe it's three winners. So it was winner take all. You, you gotta stay on the court. So we use the concept stay on mentality. You have to have that stay on mentality. and. Unfortunately, I don't think that that exists today. Uh, the second component was going to the park by yourself. And Einstein said, imagination is greater than knowledge. And I can't tell you how many times I was Walt Frazier, I was Bill Bradley, I was Butcher Comines, <laughs> I was one of those Nick players yeah. running down a court, going through routines and exercises. Well, I, I think that's lacking again in our culture today because a guy, a kid, a girl will hire a trainer to become his coach, to teach him movements and actions and skills, and they're going against a cone. They're repeating these actions, which is great habit, but they're not doing it with a conscious focus. That's where the imagination comes in. Mm. And I think the great players have honed their skills with their imagination. It's, it's really visualization of everything. Like a, a lot of times I visualize my day coming up and I kind of can put myself in the different meetings and I think that really helps. I think oh, without is, doubt. Yeah. You, you know, you it's, it's like scouting. Yes. You know, you scout in advance. That's details. You put those details on a, on a paper and you're scouting your, whether it's your the job responsibility for the day or an opponent in a competition, uh, you're constantly doing that if you want to succeed. So, Coach, one of the things I've always admired about you is your sense of loyalty. You could have left Davidson numerous times. There's rumors about offers in Stanford, Notre Dame, who else? Who knows where else? Um, but I, I always wanted to understand how did you go about deciding do I go or do I stay? I, I think we live in a world in which uh, ego drives a lot. Uh, the quest for fame, national acclaim, 
making more money makes us transient and go from house to house, from city to city, and in my respect, campus to campus. So in a sense, a lot of people today are homeless. Hmm. And I, I found a home at Davidson. Uh, the heart was there. It was the home that was for my family. And that family grew exponentially year to year to year as a class would graduate and those three or four seniors would go off into the workforce or to the European marketplace as a player, wherever it might have been, but they stayed connected to the program. And it was as if they were my sons. Mm. So if I was to leave Davidson, I would leave my home, I would leave my sons and leave my family. Mm. My family loved Davidson. You coach both of your sons, which is unique. A lot of times, the sons don't want to play for the dads, uh, or the dads don't think it's healthy to coach the sons. Did you treat your kids subconsciously? I'm sure it wasn't consciously. Any different than you uh, treat the other adopted sons on the team? I was very difficult on them, incredibly difficult. Uh, and Did mom have to play referee? Uh, no, mom didn't play referee. Mom stayed out of it in a very dignified way. Um, they would not come home certain times because they didn't want to see me face to face because they thought they were going to get a, a laundry list of mistakes they made. And um, <laughs> I, I wish I could have been better to them. But you, you know what it was lacking was, was trust. Uh, I didn't trust myself that I was doing the right thing for our program and I had to earn the trust of the team like I'm belittling our our sons and showing them that they're not getting away with anything. Mm. And that, that is because I didn't trust myself. Mm. And once I started to trust myself, mm then I was able to coach them better. You know what's interesting? That um, I used to tell Matt and Brendan to them privately, you guys are the heart and soul of the team, you'll work and I can't ask for anything better than what you're doing. Well, that's not what they needed to hear. Their teammates needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. But because I could not say that in front of the team, because I thought, not trusting, that by saying that in front of the team, well, he's saying it because he's their sons, because they are his sons. Mm. I, I didn't trust that I, that I was doing the right thing. And once I did say it in front of the team, and lo and behold, Matt just beamed and just took off and just played as, as well as he could play. Uh, kind of an interesting dynamic that occurs when you, when you deal with your, your sons in a competitive environment. Would you do it again, or would you rather they go play for a friend of yours? The joys and the sorrows that we shared, the locker rooms, the tears, the laughter, I would never trade it for anything. Mm. It is one of the treasured memories that I have from my coaching days. Coach, you're saying something so insightful is that we, we want to recollect history or remember something for the highs, not for the highs and lows. And the lows are very much part of what makes the experience rich. And the way you just described that, uh, is so real, right? It's the way that we should think about life. It's not about all the good things that happen to us. It's the struggles and the things we have to overcome. 
I like that a lot. Yeah, you know, one of the poignant moments when Matt was a freshman, we had a terrific roommate of his, was Brendan Winters. And his four seconds to go in a game against VMI in Lexington, Virginia, and we're down two points. We have a baseline inbounds play. We call a timeout, and I kneel down in front of them, ready to design a play. And I say to myself, I can't call this play for Matt because if Matt misses it, I'm going to feel awful, and he's going to feel awful. I'm going to call a play for Brendan Winters. So I'm all set to design a play in front of the, on a grease board in front of the team, and I look up, three rows up, is Brendan Winters' father, Brian Winters. My goodness. And I said to myself at that moment, everyone is somebody's son. And that, that's such a valuable lesson for a coach to learn. So I wound up designing the play for Matt. Matt shot, Matt missed, we lost. But if I not had that eye contact with Brendan Winters, I would have called the play for Brian Winters. How did you use that as you try to make men out of this boys that came into your program, realizing that their flaws, their immaturities, uh, there was a parent on the other side of that? I, I would always use the concept, their faults are my failures. Oh, I love that. So what I would do is I would try to uh, energize myself as if I was their parent. And you know, it, it comes full circle. I would call their parents constantly. I, I could call our players' parents constantly. And I would share great stories about their sons. And you know what? The parent would then call the son and tell them, man, coach said this about you. I didn't know this about you. I didn't know this about you. And all of a sudden, the player would get confident from me saying something to their parent and their parent then relaying that message to them. Isn't that what life is all about? When you help somebody, you help yourself. Our team got better because of that. And you know that's a truism of basketball. When you set a screen, you're helping somebody, you're gonna get open. When you cut hard to the basket, you're clearing space for a guy to drive. He drives, and now your defender stays behind and covers up the dribble penetration, but you get open because of that. When you help somebody, you help yourself. This notion of also praising in public and kind of the halo effect that it has, right? And and our, we, we I think we as leaders underestimate and underutilize that. A lot of times we think things and we believe things, but we don't believe that we should share them with others. I, I love that technique. You know why? Because we're jealous. We, 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 this pride, this, this jealousy that demonically distracts us, uh, prevents us from uh, acknowledging, like, we have to acknowledge. When my second game as a coach was against the University of Virginia at Davidson, Terry Holland, who was gonna become our athletic director and who actually convinced me to take the Davidson job, was coaching Virginia, and at the end of the game, in a press conference, Terry Holland praised the fact that they only got three offensive rebounds because of the great job that Bob McKillop and his team did boxing us out. And that just just ricocheted off my head like, wow, are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. This is, uh, he's praising me after a, a, a victory like this for him? And it, it really set the tone for me in my career, getting that kind of mentorship from Terry. Uh, we beat uh, Georgetown in the, uh, to, in the sweet six, to get to the Sweet 16. And at halftime, we're down 18 points. And in the locker room, the coaches gather before we go in and talk to the team. Matt Matheny, one of our assistant coaches, 
he said, uh, you know, I think we should go to our back shadow defense. What'll happen is Patrick Ewing's son will get the ball and dribble it up the court, and he loves shooting threes, so he's going to shoot a three. And we want him driving it up the court and shooting a three. So sure enough, that's what Patrick Ewing's son did. And we cut the 18-point deficit in 10 minutes down to 10, and we wound up winning the game. And I learned from Terry Holland in the aftermath, I was asked by CBS during the interview, uh, you know, that was brilliant strategy at halftime to go press him. And I could have said, yeah, we decided we're going to press him because we're going to get this to happen. I says, Matt Matheny told me that. He took, took us aside in the meeting before we went to the locker room. So I praised Matt Matheny. And the, the guy was like stunned. Like, yeah, he, yeah, And I yeah. said, you know, he's done such a great job all year long with our defense. We call him the architect, which we didn't really do, but I made that name up. And all of a sudden he becomes the architect. And, you know, if I was not confident, if I didn't trust, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I, I would have not yeah. said anything. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's clear that we have so much power to do good as leaders, right? Because all you really did was express what you believed in your heart. And as a result, you freed them up, you freed yourself up, you freed the team up, and uh, I, I love it. I, I really think that we, we underestimate what we can do with, with our words. Well, the power we have as a leader is extraordinary, and I always realize the power I had as a coach. What you say to a player can last a lifetime. Mm. So, Coach, is it true that you were the only uh, Division One program that offers Steph a scholarship? I believe there were two others, I, I think. And I think it was Winthrop and it might have been Liberty. Okay, so let's assume there's three. Okay. What did everybody miss? Because he definitely had the pedigree. He definitely had the love of the game. Um, we're not talking about the NBA. I can see how someone may say, hey, he's not NBA talent but he was a good high school player. What did so many people miss? They looked at a frail body, skinny, baby-faced, clearly physically immature, uh, and they said he'll never grow into being an NBA player. He'll never grow into being an ACC player. He'll never grow into... And um, I I really think he didn't pass the look test for a lot of people. He looked like he struggled to get his shot off. He didn't have power. And he didn't have the framework that you'd say, well, he's going to put muscle on. You just didn't see that. And What did you offer? Uh, we offered him because he could shoot the heck out of it, number one. But number two, his character traits were off the charts. I watched him play in an AAU tournament before his senior year of high school. He threw the ball away. He dribbled it off his foot. A couple of bad calls go against him. Teammates didn't catch his passes, missed shots. Never once did he stop getting back on defense. Never once did he complain to the refs. Never once did he get on himself about something or get on a teammate. When he was taken out of the game, he looked in the coach's eyes, listened to the instructions, sat there and cheered on the bench. He, he fit every box that we wanted character-wise, yeah. even in the difficult times. Fast forward to what he does in the world of the NBA today, he could have an awful first quarter, but he doesn't get bothered by it. He transcends failure. He lives in the moment. Uh, Next play mentality that Mike Krzyzewski always talks about. This guy, Stephen Curry, is absolutely extraordinary. Physically, we saw him with probably the best 
eye-hand coordination that I had seen on a kid that age. Mm. He has fast twitch eye muscles. He not just sees where the ball is, he always saw where it was gonna be. Now sometimes he didn't, he didn't <laughs> catch it or throw it or dribble it the right way, but he, he was always one step ahead. Yeah. So not only did he live in the moment, but he could live in the moment and be one step ahead at the same time. So what an extraordinary gift that is. How many guys could do Did you, you do feel that? like, oh my goodness, I see something no one else does? Or yeah, was it a practice when he showed up? Was it the first practice where you're like, oh wow. Yeah, oh, that was it. That was it. We had these individual instruction back in, in those days. And, and our first individual instruction, we, we could not believe how good he was. <laughs> and it wasn't that he was making shots. It wasn't that he was dribbling so well or passing so well. Just instinctively things, yeah. and stamina and focus. Yeah. You know, some people have that gift and he's got that gift of stamina, but he's got a great ability to listen, yeah. to focus, yeah. to be in that moment. Yeah. And I, I'm convinced that that's what's made him into the great player he is. And he's a really good guy. Oh, like, iconic. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of these people are, are, they have an edge. Steph is Steph. Uh, a great father, a great husband, a great sibling, a great son, a great man, and a great teammate. And it's interesting how he, as a teammate, has been the straw that stirs the drink. Tell us the Steven story, because I love the way that you tell the story, and, and, and it goes back to your level, to details, preparation. Right? You, <laughs> we were with Nike as a, a, a sponsor for us, since 1989, Stefan's godfather and godmother both work for Nike. And uh, Nike clearly jumped on board once Steph uh, hit the super highway when he had that great freshman year and finished it off with a terrific game in the NCAA tournament. Then, you know, the Elite Eight run and then, of course, his, his junior year and gets drafted. So now Nike, who has been with Steph, for his two, three years at Davidson, they, they do a presentation and they call him Steven. I, I, I couldn't, I, I just could not believe it that he, he, and I, in fact, not only did they call him Steven, but I want to say that they might have put up the uh, presentation with Kevin Durant on it. And they, oh my goodness. And so, so it was. A, a display for Kevin Durant and then they realized they made a mistake and then they started calling him Steven. And it was guys with Nike who had no relationship with Steph whatsoever nor understood him and uh, I, I, I think he walked away from that experience so he and Dell were at it and said uh, you know I'm not so sure they really know who I am. And I really believe that the reason Stephen came to Davidson College was because we didn't call him Steven because we knew what we had and we wanted him and we made it very, very clear how much we wanted him. Yeah, yeah. In fact, when, when I sat in his living room, Steph's mom said, don't worry, coach, we'll fatten him up. And I said, don't worry about fattening him up. We'll take him just the way he is. And I'm not sure that other coaches were going to say that to them. Uh, that's remarkable. Preparation, preparation, preparation. I know that the other thing that you and I share in common is a belief in culture and the importance of culture and you know, not, not dissimilar to the game, this environment. A lot of young people coming out of college are very transient and they leave and, and they're not patient enough. They're not willing to build uh, from the ground up. Um, 
but you had a very unique approach to culture. I, I was very lucky that I grew up at a time period when um, uh, Red Auerbach was coaching the Boston Celtics, mm. and they had a culture. John Wooden was coaching UCLA. They had a culture. Dean Smith was coaching North Carolina. He had a culture. Uh, there were so many coaches at that time who stuck around and stayed at their mm. locale, their place, and, and built that culture. There was continuity. And, and I, 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 Red Arbach is, is just a genius. And, and he was so simplistic in what he, what he did. But he said the players were the enforcers of his discipline. So he had Cousy and Russell and Sam Jones and Luskatov and all these great players, Havlicek, they were the ones who enforced the culture of the Boston Celtics. Mm. And, and Red, uh, going back to what we had said earlier about uh, uh, details and about maybe being too anal and, uh, in a sense, overprepared, Red never overprepared. He was as simplistic as can be. And I think about a lot of those coaches back in that time period, and Dean was a real master of details, but a guy like Lou Conasecker, a guy like Al McGuire, a guy like Red Holtzman, Red Arbach, they were not that way. John Wooden was the detail guy telling you even how to put your socks on. Right. And uh, so I grew up in that environment in which you had these different coaches who were outstanding in there, right. in what they represented. They were my my teachers. Yeah. Tell tell me a little bit about the culture that you wanted to build. What were the principles around it? I always marveled that Dean Smith's players came back year after year after year after graduation. Mm. It was it was a statement to me that there's a part of them that still is on that campus in Chapel Hill. I always marveled about. John Wooden's players doing the same thing. I always marveled about the Boston Celtics. It was as if it was like a, a badge of courage to put that Celtic jersey on. Mm -hmm. There was something sacred about it. It was something, it was, it was sanctity. So when I saw that, I, I, how can I do that? And sadly, I did not learn it early enough because my first couple of years, I was infected with the disease of me. I was all about me all about me. Yeah, I, I has, had confidence in myself. Yeah, I had commitment to do my job and I worked my tail off. And I, I like my players, but I, I really didn't trust. I really didn't commit. I really didn't care. And when I learned to get rid of the disease of me and focus on the players, that allowed that culture to now develop. And it was the springboard. So we use these three words of trust, commitment, and care. And uh, those are the three foundational words of Davidson basketball. And you talk to anybody from our, our decades of, of coaching at Davidson, and they'll tell you TCC, trust, commitment, and care. How does commitment endure in an environment like this? Two feet in the door. There are so many people that put one foot in the door and one foot out because they don't trust. Mm -hmm. They think there might be somewhere better. They think they might fail. They want a safety net. They want a safeguard. And you have to commit fully. You have to put two feet in the door. You have to embrace it. And yes, there's gonna be resistance, 
but you have to embrace resistance. I think it's the CEO of Starbucks that may have said that, embrace resistance. But interestingly enough, um, uh, Tracy Stevens, Brad Stevens' wife, once told him as he left Butler to go to the Celtics, uh, you have to become uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you want to be as good as you can be. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible truth, but that's a truth about commitment as well because when you commit, you're going to fail. There's going to be some failures there, but is that failure going to destroy your commitment or is it just going to galvanize it? Right, right. I love what Brad talked about, the competitive character, right? the, the guy that comes into the gym equally after a win or a loss. Correct. Yeah, yeah and it's so hard to do that. Uh, it, 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 I was despondent after a loss, but two hours after the loss, I'm already plotting and strategizing how to get better. Uh, losing is just an exposure of what you need to do better. Yeah. You know, you don't climb one mountain and don't live in a world of no mountains. You climb one mountain and it gives you a view of the next mountain and a better view. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, I view you as a great leader, as a leader of man, as a, as a great human being, as a great American. I would love just one question outside of basketball. What gives you hope in the world today? You know, I, I, I think that in order for this world to be a place for us to have hope. If you sweep in front of your own door, the world will be a clean place. We have too many people that don't take care of what they can take care of. I think if if every parent understood that, I think our world would be a better place. And it's as simple as can be, do your job. You see, we're all coaches, and, and I think a lot of people have embraced that. You're a coach as a father, you're a coach as a mother, you're a coach as a spouse, you're a coach in the business world, you're a coach in the community. Coach your team. It, it can't be just a couple of members of the team, it's gotta be the whole team. Coach, I, I admire you, I respect you deeply, and I'm honored that you were on the podcast today. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Rick. I am so glad we had Bob on the show. As you can tell, Bob is full of incredible insights on leadership. I always enjoy my time with him because there's not one time where I don't leave with a new lesson. From this conversation, here are the three things I take away. Number one is the need for space. This device in our pockets have taken away all quiet time. It used to be on a plane, but even that is no longer sacred. From that alone time is where creativity comes, is where peacefulness comes, and it's where internal growth comes. Number two is the power of genuine praise. It's a reminder by Bob that we all have a lot more power than we think. Positive praise can go a long way and can last a long time. If we remember that everybody is somebody's son or daughter, we will act with a lot more kindness and forgiveness. And number three is this notion that we ought to sweep in front of our own doors before we try to point what's not right in the world. If we took our jobs as parents, as spouses, as leaders more seriously, the world will be a better place. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Find at Rick Elias on social media and let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.